0: Welcome to the Hockey Strength Podcast, the official podcast of SCAP, the Strength Conditioning Association of Professional Hockey. My name is David Rosales, and today my guest is Paul Velucas. Paul Velucas is the strength conditioning coach of the University of Wisconsin Badgers, where he oversees both the men's and women's hockey programs. Prior to Wisconsin, he was the head SNC coach for the Ontario Reign, which is the AHL affiliate of the Los Angeles Kings. And in this episode, we talk all about training college athletes. We talk about the coaching sides and the technical side. Uh, and, and it's really a fun episode with Paul, who's a great up-and-coming guy. We talk a lot about some of, the, some of his mentors and, and people he learned from, and he's definitely a strength coach that I think a lot of us should should look to start learning from in the next few years. And I hope this, if you don't know him, is, is a great introduction to him. If you work with college athletes, have worked with college athletes, are a college athlete, want to be a college athlete, then this is an episode for you. So, hope you enjoy it, and without further ado, here is Paul Lucas. Pauly, yeah. welcome to the oxygen podcast thanks for being here
1: absolutely thanks for having me man appreciate it yeah,
0: yeah we've interviewed we've had a good mix of, of some of the, the older reign of strength coaches and now starting to interview interview some of some of the up and coming some some of the younger in so and uh you had a great story before it hit, hit hit record on the call about um, how you found out you want to be an angel strength coach so take us to uh you're in Patagonia you're in Patagonia how old were you what were you doing there and how did how did that wind up being an opportunity to become a strength coach.
1: Yeah. All right. So I'll take you even further back. So I, as I was telling you before the call at like 15 or 16, like I'm from Chicago originally, Um I think it was like 2007, in 2008, Paul Goodman was hired by the Hawks. And I, I think the Tribune or one of the, one of the newspapers did a piece on him. And I remember seeing him and seeing a photo of him wearing a, a strength shirt with the Hawks logo with the three feathers and the, the, word strength and I thought, I remember looking at it and going, wow, that's like the coolest job I can imagine. Like you're working in the NHL as a strength coach. Like that's rad. And so as I, I went through college, uh, my first year of college, I was playing division two lacrosse and it was fine. You know, like I wasn't really a great lacrosse player and I wasn't a great athlete, but I realized I really enjoyed being in the weight room. Like I loved like training was like, this is awesome. This is the coolest thing. So realized that that was what I wanted to do, and so left the first school I was at and had kind of a gap semester, um, and went into a program called the National Outdoor Leadership School, in Pat- and there's all over the world, and uh, basically they teach you wilderness survival and leadership within t- small groups and teams in really gnarly environments, right? So like, how well do you work with a group of kind of for all intents and purposes strangers you know when it's sleeting rain in patagonia in the mountains and so you're kind of learning to deal with people's odds and ends you're learning to work really well with different people different you know personality types and you're kind of working through that and um when i was doing that i had told my parents before because i was going to be out of contact with them for 70 days that Basically, I applied to a bunch of schools and I said, if I got into Wisconsin, then send me to Wisconsin. If I didn't get to Wisconsin, send me to Denver. And if I didn't get anywhere there, just pick a spot and let me go. And I was lucky enough to get into the University of Wisconsin. And once I got there, kind of take, took the steps, start moving towards being a strength coach. And so, you know, got my start as a personal trainer, as I'm sure most of us do. And then worked as a then intern with football for nine months learned a lot there and then reached out to Jimmy Snyder uh, over at the Cole Center and said, Hey, I'd love to, you know, learn from you, learn, you know, work in hockey and can I be your intern? And I think he responded with an email that was like, okay. they like something very short. And so I showed up in January um and was there from January until I think August. Yeah. And then once that was done i went to denver and got my master's degree and worked for two years at the university of denver with matt shaw and his staff and i mean that was a whirlwind and just an incredible learning experience and yeah and then finally got the opportunity a couple of years after that worked to work with matt price and with the kings and rain and yeah so that was my path just uh starting as a 16 year old seeing that nhl strength coaching was an actual job and working with high-level hockey players was a job and being like, that's so cool, and then now finally getting to come back and work at the University of Wisconsin and do that job. So yeah,
0: yeah, I think hearing how different coaches got to their jobs is is interesting because we when I talk to you know the older, rain of strength coaches, there's the the answers the answers are so different, and and now it's like you know some personal training along the way, you know, a couple internships, sending an email, like sending a. A cold email sometimes, if it's phrased correctly, like can can go a long way. I want to talk about that time in Denver though with Matt Shaw. Matt Shaw's kind of a legend, and I know you learned a lot from him. E, you know, your first first few months there in Denver, what what's something that immediately struck you about the way they run things there at the University of Denver that that you really you really grabbed onto and learned a lot from?
1: Uh, I mean, I think one of the biggest things I took away from Denver, and I definitely don't think I grabbed onto it right away. It was definitely something I was trying to do, but not doing well, was Uh, their attention to detail as coaches is, I mean, second to none, right? It wasn't, they weren't lifting, they weren't training just for the sake of doing it. I mean, every little thing had coaching cues that were down to the, you know, degree of movement. And it was, for me, such an incredible learning experience because you see how good coaches can be on the floor and how real, like, how bought in those programs were. Like that, that that staff with Matt Shaw and Matt Van Dyke and Gary Boros. And then my second year with Nicole Fowler and Tim Murray, like those staff, like that staff across the board was so good. And everybody bought into what we're doing, is making is, you know, developing our athletes. We're building a base. There's a ton of research and understanding behind why we're doing something. And so, yeah, I think the attention to detail was a major factor. It was a really, really good learning experience. It was a tough learning experience, but like, I mean, I I would not be in the position I am today if it were not for that staff and getting to learn from those guys.
0: You mentioned that they were really good on the floor coaches. Now for me, I was like, okay, what does that mean? What does that mean to be a good on-the-floor coach? So what's something that they did like that was very effective? Maybe even just like a small cue they gave or or a way they organized their sessions or anything of anything about that.
1: I mean, I think, I mean, there's so many you could touch on, but and I think that it's tough to I guess illustrate in a podcast, but everything was nothing was left up to chance, right? From just the flow of how the work, the weight room, like how the work kind of got done in the weight room to the explanation of the lifts. They, they, those were the two things I think really, like really kind of hit home for me was, there was, I don't think there was ever, maybe, none that I can remember where there's ever any sort of like roadblock or traffic jam during the flow of, a, of a, a session where it was just like, okay, like, you're going down the left side, you're in the racks, you're finishing up, you're into the dumbbell areas, you're stepping across the turf, you're onto the cable systems, and then you're working back out of the weight room into the GHRs. There was just a flow to it where you just like, guys knew where to go. And it was always like, okay, as soon as this is done, they're flowing into the next step and they're flowing into the next step. And Shazi, especially with hockey, did such an incredible job explaining what he wanted to see why it was getting done it was really like for me as a young coach um, and even now i still try to emulate it like it was just so spot on right and and that was like okay like you're answering all the questions that someone might have before they have them and so they know what they're doing but you're also not taking 20 minutes to explain it right he could do it where it was like looking at a1 a2a3a4 here's the big thing that you're looking for. And so guys knew exactly what was going to be done in each spot. So that was, those are the things of like, those are the points within how they ran themselves on the floor that I was just so impressed with. Um, Like it was, you know, like, obviously like, yes, could they ramp up the intensity and there was their, you know, were where their times when the sessions were like music was going and guys were going, yeah, hundred percent. But that was like, you know, there's a lot of strength coaches that can do that. Matt Shaw, Gary, Van Dyke, that whole staff, they just were so good at being able to just dial it in and explain, here's what you're gonna be doing and here's why you're doing it. And so the questions, there really wasn't a, hey, what are we doing again type of question ever asked?
0: Yeah, I, I think the workout flow, thing, I love that you mentioned that. I don't think I've ever, I mean, I of course, we thought of it a bit, but that's such an underrated little thing. Like how often do you strength coaches walk, like get a new job and walk into a gym and like not even think to like reorganize anything. Like all oh, the squat racks yeah. are there, I guess, I guess it's just there forever. I feel like as strength coaches, that's just such a simple thing. If we take like an hour to think about, it, it can totally change the, the
1: entire course of your year. 100%. Like it's, and it, it's funny because like to this day, I still like, I always like I refer back to like, okay that so this, that's the gold standard to me right like I'm looking like wow like look at how hockey flows through this thing it's so good and so I'll walk in and like I'll run a lift and I'm like oh my god like I didn't even plan for like that traffic jam and you know the second block like that's so stupid like just smack in my head like oh, I forgot to put the mats out and that's what caused it you know but yeah it it is crazy how. Something as simple as that makes your job so much easier because you never have to then go, okay, where's everyone going to be? Cause you know, within 20 minutes or 15 minutes or 30 minutes where guys are going to be within that lift. Yeah,
0: totally. Where the mats are too. Like forgetting something (laughs) like that. Like, takes no ability like this takes no mm-hmm. skill you don't need to read any books to learn this you literally just have to look at your gym and like think for a few minutes right and mm-hmm. 100%. Esp- especially with college athletes because i mean i've worked in a college environment i've also worked in a junior environment a lot of these kids are just out to lunch all the time and if you don't give them like clear directions on like where they're going they're gonna there's gonna be 14 college athletes coming up and ask you especially like especially freshmen right
1: 100 percent. and like i mean i i'll joke with the guys like no matter how much I program, or like you know, there's always going to be someone. There's always going to be a freshman that like messes it up. Maybe maybe I'm five six years in in this position. I'll have it, I'll have all the answers right now. I don't, um, but yeah, like there's always going to be a kid. You're like, why are you doing that? Like what what are you doing over there? Oh, I, I thought we were. Nope, wrong day. Come on, follow the seniors
0: yeah follow the seniors uh, maybe maybe this is bad advice maybe you shouldn't do this because there's kind of like this this lowest common denominator thing but sometimes it can be helpful to think about that that person like all right how are they gonna how can we how can we bulletproof the work out for them right but on the other hand you don't want to hold back seniors and you don't want them to be like oh yeah, this is but i think from a flow perspective i think that's a pretty good framework
1: 100 i i still use i use the lowest common denominator for the flow right like okay, what what exactly, where is the hiccup going to happen and how do I get ahead of it um, for sure? Yeah.
0: And then the the second thing you mentioned there about what they did in Denver was how they had their cues kind of lined up. And this has become a lot more popular. I think maybe the last like three to five years, like we've seen, like, I think it was Nick Winkleman's book that just like how to cue things. I think that's another thing mm-hmm. is, are you, and and with podcasts, maybe is a decent example, or or when you're giving speeches or even making like Instagram content, like I think we think about the right things to say and like the ideal way for some mediums, but then we kind of forget that that transfers over to coaching. And I think another thing that's like in that bucket of attention to detail is taking a few minutes and like, is this actually how I want to explain it? Because if you don't do that, I think you're going to be explaining it a bunch of different ways and you don't have, like you said, like a system.
1: Right. I think on top of that is like being able to like, one of the things I saw with that staff is, and one of the things we learned as interns and then as performance fellows and volunteers was like you can have that cue but like if you're given that cue and it's not it's not creating the change you want it like it's not on the athlete to understand you right it's not on the freshman the sophomore junior senior to say well let me interpret what paul is saying because he said it twice or three times like i have to come up with a cue that's going to make that stick and so like whether that if the stick you know if the the cue is like squeeze your glutes and the athlete has no idea what that means and they're just like I don't know what you're talking about dude like it's on you to a like dumb that down or like connect that to what the athlete does on a daily basis or in their sport where they understand it right um and so that was one thing like kind of going to the cue like their cues were so detailed and like they used anatomical terms so the athletes learned it right their internal external rotation they are all like very detailed map, but also like you could kind of distill that cue down to something very basic where your athlete was going to click to it really quick.
0: And now a few years later, you're, you're in a similar job description there at your, at your old university with the university of Wisconsin. But you've also had, as you mentioned, experience in AHL. So you have that, that contrast, the pro level and college level. What's been what's been one of the one of the biggest differences or one of the biggest challenges going from AHL or maybe it's kind of like your show too in the AHL to to a college level?
1: I think the biggest thing, my biggest learning curve, going from pro back to college was reminding myself, and it took me a little bit, that a lot of these guys like they're coming in, they don't have like they are blank slates, right? They don't know what they're doing, not just in the weight room, but like eating sleeping right like the, a lot of the, like for the most part a lot of the like we had a lot of really great pros in the king's organization um and i was really lucky to have some really good veterans with the rain um and so those guys were dialed in right i'm not going to tell a 34 year old what he needs to know about pro hockey as a 27 year old i'm not going to teach him anything about what he needs to do to prepare prepare for a game he's probably going to teach me but for a lot of these kids coming in 19 to Wisconsin, we have a pretty young team. I think our average age is like 20 years old. A lot of these guys have no real experience leaving home. They don't know what they're supposed to eat. And so it's like, okay, like there's a lot more teaching. And I think my first few weeks I was like, whoa, okay. So we got to take this way back. Um, there has to be way more development and teaching on my end than there was at the pro level. Yeah, 20 is
0: very young. You guys must, I didn't look at mm-hmm. your roster. You must have a lot of like high draft picks, bunch of young guys coming not, in. No,
1: you know, we got a couple. Um, we're not like, we're not like Michigan last year where it was like, you know, whatever, you know, their roster was, or it was like 12 first round picks. Um, we just have a lot of young guys. I think that's just, it kind of worked out that way. Um, we're lucky that we do have a good core group of older guys couple of guys who play it. This is their, you know, with the COVID year, this will be their fifth year. So that is nice. You know, being able to kind of have a bit of a sliding scale of how you're going to teach your 24 year old kind of, hopefully to get ready for pro hockey versus how you're going to teach your 18 and a half year old is two very different things.
0: Yeah. So, so how do you, how do you manage that? How do you manage that as a coach? And we might talk about buckets or, or, or how do you, how do you organize that? Cause I think there's a stereotype that pro is a huge age range and, I think the difference between an 18-year-old and a 24-year-old a lot of times is is bigger than like a, a you know 22-year-old pro than a 28-year-old pro.
1: Yeah, I mean it's they're they're two different beasts, you know, and I I won't even pretend that like I mean I didn't work in the NHL so I'm not going to sit here and tell you what, you know, Pricer and Trent with the Kings do. I mean, I was lucky with the rain that, you know, we did have a little bit more of a solidified age range, right? There was like 18, 19, Most guys were in their early 20s. We had a couple guys who are on the outliers, but um, in development age-wise, we were a little bit, had a bigger range, but so that kind of helped me prepare for here because as you said, yeah, 18 to 24 is a pretty big range. And we have guys who have five years of college lifting experience, you know, two years with me and three years with Jim Snyder. Like that's, that's a lot of time under a bar, a lot of time into, in a weight room especially if they played multiple years of juniors. Now you're, now you're getting six, seven, eight years of lifting experience. Um, and then we have guys who are coming off of maybe one year. You know, we had a couple of guys who were coming out of like, we played like seven games in juniors and then came here. And so then they were coming from high school hockey in like Minnesota. And it's like nothing against Minnesota lifting or Minnesota training, but like that's not, there's not a ton of like, that's a big jump from training a private facility. To train in a, a division one college um, setting so one of the things it did was after my first year I started to look at it was a pretty clear dichotomy or like split between the guys who had had multiple years of lifting experience and the guys who had just come in as freshmen and i mean i saw it at denver uh, match one of his years split the team up and had a group of guys doing more strength work right away and another group doing more hypertrophy and i took that same same theme and the same theme that i learned from pricer along those same lines of okay you can bucket these guys and go after certain adaptations because if i just go after all of them right if i just say everyone's gonna do hypertrophy well like yeah the young guys who need to put on muscle mass like that's great but the guys who are already big enough if you will like they're, they're, they're not going to get anything from that. And it might even be a detriment to them. Um, and so I split the team up and I didn't try to make it too complicated, right? The movements might all be the same, but the sets and reps and intensity and the rest were all going to be different. And I just based that off of looking at like what they were doing on force plates, how many years of lifting experience they have, what had I seen them, like how had I seen them move and in, in the weight room like what were they looking like under a little bit of load? What were their deXA scans telling me, right? Is their muscle mass at a good enough range or do they need to put more on? Um, and so those were all the things that kind of went into my program this year and the last little bit to try and drive adaptations at the same rate but the different adaptations.
0: And so for listeners, Paulie has an article on this on how he kind of organized this more in depth five ways to bucket athletes to improve off-season development, specifically at the college level. So I think for more on like specifically how you did the buckets, that article is a great resource. I was interested in something you said a few minutes ago, though, about how a lot of what these college athletes needed was, you know, help learning how to learning how to sleep. Maybe isn't the right term, but. You know, just general like, learning how to be a person, I guess, is maybe a better term. So as a, as a strength coach, Larry, like you're not you're not their babysitter either. So what is that? How does that look for you? Is it is it you bring yourself up with them? Is it them asking you? I and mean, this is like a delicate like art of coaching situation. So as a, as a college strength coach, how do you approach that?
1: I try to set up at least one sit down meeting with each freshman coming in within the first few weeks that I get to know um, and just say, you know, it kind of opened up the floor like, hey, what do you need help with? Cause I want to know where they think they're at. Right. Like, you know, if I, if I say, Hey, what do you need help with? And the guy says absolutely nothing. Well, it's like, okay, like, I'll wait and I'll see where that goes. But like, you know, if a guy says, well, I need help eating and I'm like, no, you need help sleeping. Then he's like, you know, screw this guy. Like he's not even listening to me. So I try to open that up for the most part. I get a good amount of information when I ask them what they, they think they need. And then I try to track over time, like I'll ask them just like very casually, hey, how you doing today? Like, oh, you're sore. Like, how did you sleep last night? Like, or did you have enough to eat to yesterday? Like, what'd you have for you to food? What did you have to eat? What do you, you know, where'd you eat? And so just those little bit before the warm-up even starts, little things like that, always find like you can find really good nuggets there. And that's how I feel has been really beneficial for me to open up conversations. You know just being able to have those little tidbits when guys are rolling out or hanging out or whatever it is like it doesn't have to be super formal right we do have those sit downs as i said but it doesn't have, like every time it doesn't have to be formal it can just be a real quick conversation and then also just reading the guy right like if he's usually a super high energy guy and then all of a sudden he comes in his heads down and he just looks like you know trash like hey what's going on right and then having that conversation of whether it's stress related or school you know is it school stress? Is it life stress? Is it game stress? Whatever it is. And then trying to draw that into a teaching point.
0: Yeah. The foam roll areas is, is, I think I agree. Kind of crucial is like five to 10 minutes for everyone's just hanging out before rolling out can be a really, 100%. really valuable time as a coach. Um, 100%. Are you doing anything with wearable devices at all with the guys? I know this is kind of like, I yeah. even know it's allowed at college, but.
1: We use first beat. Um, <laughs> I came in last year and really wanted to do first beat and catapult, but, uh, that was not in the budget at all. <laughs> um, and I was lucky enough that, you know, Jim Snyder been using first beat here for quite a long time so that there was, um, a, G, a decent understanding of it from the coaching staff of like, okay, like here, you know, okay. So what is this? What is this? What is this? Um, and so I just stuck with that. This was actually a tool that we used with the rain as well we had a first beat system so that's what i used for the wearables um it was super helpful um looking back and kind of reviewing just the game and the practice loads and being able to kind of figure out just each each game and each uh practice like did we go hard enough what are like what do our game loads look like what's the internal load um so that's that's what i've been using for uh wearables and that the guys come in
0: put it on before they train and then take it off the end of the session.
1: Yep. So I I'll have them. Um, I, I put the, you know, little chips on the room. They know they're supposed to wear them from practice. They wear them from games. Um, and then once we're in the off season, when we're in that six week phase following the season, when it's a little bit more conditioning based, um, I'll have them wear it as well. And if the guy ever wants to come in and just put it on for whatever he's doing, throw it back on and add that into the, uh, data collection, so to speak.
0: In this discussion of college athletics, I know we have, a, I know we have, I've, a few have reached out. I know we have a few players who listen, who are younger, who are, you know, even like teenagers who would one day dream, like dream of being in that Wisconsin and that Wisconsin weight room, right? What are, what are some things you've seen some incoming fresh and you've had a class you've seen like some, a lot of college athletes have success. What are, what are some things that you would say they should start preparing for ages 15, 16, 17 to be ready? I mean, not for the, with D1 hockey level, that's out of our scope, but for right. that like D1 hockey locker room and uh, weight room environment.
1: I mean, I think I tell anyone that asks me that, like, especially like the 15, 16, 14, right? Like that, like early adolescence, like, you know, when they're just like, I want to do everything, right? I tell them, I don't need you to be the best squatter. I don't need you to be the best deadlifter. I don't, I don't care what your max deadlift is right now. I don't, like, it, it doesn't matter to me, right? if you're coming in and you understand like what you, how you perform on six hours of sleep versus eight hours of sleep, you understand where you can get protein from, right? Like not buying it, but like what foods have protein and what don't. And if you can identify like, hey, here are like different types of carbs, right? Like is a potato a carb? What's a potato? like? Like simple, like the simplest things like I had a kid ask me what a potato was or like where potatoes come from the other day. Like, not he wasn't a Wisconsin kid, but he was like an adolescent kid. And I was like, okay, that's a good place to start. Um, they come from the ground, my man. But like, yeah, if you can just say, like, okay, like you understand that you have to have protein within your meals, and you have to have multicolored vegetables and fruits in your meals, and you understand that. Eight hours of sleep is a little bit better than six hours of sleep. Those are like they're not sexy, right? Those aren't cool. They're not going to get you Instagram likes, but they're going to go such a long way with your overall progression as an athlete comparatively to like, look, I'm doing this super high level plow. Okay, great. You're 14, you're 15. Like, where do you go from there? Right you're not looking like no one's saying well how good was he at 15 they're looking and saying how good is he now at 21 and if if they're at wisconsin and they're leaving after two or three or one year the goal is that they step into a pro environment with the reign of the kings or they go to rockford or chicago or anywhere right and that they step into that environment and at least from an off-ice perspective they are pro ready they understand how they're supposed to eat. They understand how much sleep they're supposed to get. They understand how to take care of their body, uh, what they need to do if they're feeling sore or lethargic. And so that developing those skills at a younger age and then pushing them and starting to kind of get to know your body a little bit more as you go into like the times in your life, when you start to grow, like, I think that's way more beneficial than saying like, well, I'm going to do, I don't know, like the same stuff Connor mcdavid is doing like don't do what Connor mcdavid is doing Connor mcdavid is already Connor mcdavid do the basics of what's going to help you not what you think is going to help this elite athlete
0: yeah i, I this isn't my quote but i heard it somewhere and i don't know who said it so i'm it's not mine that it was we're going to look back in 10 years that you know Not realizing the importance of sleep and not prioritizing sleep. We're going to look back on it the same way we look back on Babe Ruth, like eating hot dogs in the dugout. And the same way we look at Wayne Gretzky, like drinking diet soda, like during intermission or on the bench, like it it is that crazy. And the fact that it's taken us this long to finally be like, Hey, 17 year old, Hey, 21 year old, Hey, 29 year old pro, like your sleep and like just eating good meals is, is a lot more important than any force plate heart rate, fancy plyometric we have. 100%.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a massive part of like everything, right? Like if your sleep's absolute, like if it's just bad, like good luck trying to do any sort of like actual, like there's such a limitation on what you can do. Right. Especially like one night of bad sleep. Okay. That's no big deal. But like if a guy spends, you know, he's chronically just not sleeping or having really bad nights of sleep, it's like, that's going to catch up eventually. You know if you're if your goal as a hockey player is to make the NHL or to play at an absolute high level like you're leaving money on the table so to speak by not doing the basics right you're just you're you're not going after the big rocks
0: yeah and as coaches the challenge is how to communicate that in ways that'll actually get them to sleep more right because like it's so easy but like, yeah you just gotta sleep more but that's use that's yeah. useful to be like you just got to exercise dude like you just got to train yeah no gotta, just just exercise man like
1: just give- just do better just do better <laughs> exactly um,
0: Right. Yeah, and I don't I, think any of us have answers, but I think we're all kind of trying with different strategies, testing, tweaking. I think every coach out there is like trying every way imaginable to approach this in the right way.
1: hundred percent. I mean, I think yeah. the more, I mean, at least for me, like I try to, I try to talk to, I mean, I, I try to talk to both teams, like they're grown adults. Right. I mean, everyone's 18, 18, 22, 24, right. Whatever age. But like, they don't want to be talked at like they're kids. They're not kids at a camp, right? These are, you know, they're not the most elite hockey players, right? They're not all in the NHL yet. They're not all on Team USA for the women's side or Canada yet. But, you know, you talk to them like they're adults and say, hey, like, let's understand that these little things you do make a difference. And I'm not asking, you know, I'll I'll tell a guy, it's like, I'm not asking you if you're getting six hours of sleep to get nine hours of sleep tomorrow. I'm asking you to get six hours and six and a half hours of sleep. And if you do six and a half hours this week and we can get you seven hours of the next week, like that's a step in the right direction. And if it gets to seven and a half or eight or just these little like get the ball rolling. That to me is a huge victory as opposed to me telling a guy on Monday, hey, you know, you got to get nine hours of sleep to get nine hours of sleep on Tuesday and he's back to four hours of sleep on Wednesday. It's like, okay, that didn't make a change. So
0: phone curfews, man. Those phones are too much, too, too addicting, too many, too many billion dollar companies who are really good at hacking our psychology, getting us to stay, yes. stay late. So I think that's, that's when I go to war with, but some of my, some of my younger guys who are like 17, 18, 19 and juniors, just, mm-hmm. like, just like, dude, you just got to put your phone away. Like 15 yeah, minutes before that. Put right. the phone away. Like the whole thing.
1: I promise you the text message that someone sends you at 930 can, you can wake up and answer that. It's not an emergency yeah even one of the things
0: for athletes is uh put your put the timer for the social media apps i think this has been huge like you can set it so you can't open tiktok after 11 p.m or whatever and obviously you can change you can change the password and go in there right like and and they're Mm going to do it but i think even just having is like oh i'm not supposed to they're going to like feel a little bit feel a little bit guilty like and and it's obviously it's a thing as coaches we're not going to like be policing that much but it's just a little thing i think like you know, we should, we should probably all do it. I'm not gonna lie. I have a timer on Instagram. I have a timer on Instagram. Oh, I do
1: too, man. And <laughs> I like, I've got a timer. And as soon as I get over 15 minutes, it's like, yeah, you've been over your, your limit for the day. I'm like, sometimes I hit ignore the limit and other times I'm like, all right, I should probably get off this now. Like, exactly. Exactly. And that, yeah. and that's exactly the point.
0: So you've been, a. Quite a prolific. I think you've done three or four articles for us. For the <laughs> prolific, Michael. Exaggeration,
1: but you've written a, yeah, I a bunch. I appreciate being. I've never been called prolific, and so I'll take that. That's that's. But you, that's you've definitely been favorite. one of
0: our one of our consistent contributors to the site with the articles, and I think it was your first or second article that I I really enjoyed. It was uh, it was about multi directional warm up, and I think this is another thing like that. You know, we obviously SNC comes a lot from track. We've been doing a lot of things like forward, backwards, mm-hmm. and in hockey, obviously we need to move in all directions. So how do you how do you think about uh creating a multi-directional warm up and w- and what are some of the big the big boxes that you check in that?
1: yeah I mean I think again I like I'm not gonna pretend that I came up with that at all right that was that was straight up coming out of I, I first got my first touch of it seeing Jim Snyder run his warm ups and then just absolutely got immersed in it with the University of Denver and that was they really hearted on that and that was a major takeaway was just how important the warm-up is right it's maybe let's say it's 15 minutes or 10 minutes but you do it every single day you're building up touches you're building up work capacity you're building up these movement patterns and movement capacity within different ranges and so um i mean i try to hit every different direction i can Um, i don't do the same one every single day because i mean Guys get bored with it, I get bored with it. I don't want my athletes going, okay, I know what the next one is, I'm just gonna go right into it. Like I'm, I'll am i change it up. And if I see guys starting to kind of, you know, glaze over, like I'll just immediately be like, ah, we're gonna do this, and just, you know, shake them off a little bit, like, you know, throw a monkey wrench into their, into their day. Um, but the more we can move in different patterns and use that time to see how someone's moving, like those are really, really important moments In coaching, right? If you see a person that can't do a lateral lunge, you certainly can't load that lateral lunge. If you see someone who can't squat, okay, you're already you're already telling yourself, okay, I I can see that they can't squat, or where do they create motion? Like once their hips stop moving downward, does their upper body collapse? And so you're having these times where you're just seeing these little little bits of information, and that can kind of dictate right away, okay, so I know that this person can't. Do x y or z or i have to limit this person's range or i have to work on teaching this person how to get into this range and so they can control the range and so i feel like i've lost my train of thought to be honest with you <laughs> like that's that's kind of how i build the warm-up
0: yeah, yeah. that's all right
1: i got i got to follow up
0: i think it was in uh in Steffi cohen's newish probably like two years old now new book she had a chapter on like talking about injury prevention that was all about how mm. important variability is and how important like if you do the same stuff that worked for injury prevention, and you do that all the time for years, it eventually will stop working, right? And you kind of you, like a key part of preventing injuries is is uh, just moving in different ways and not getting too static in our movements. I think like a warm up, as you mentioned, is such a great way to do that. And I think I'm, I was also so guilty of this. I've done the same warm up for like <laughs> nine years of my life, right? Yes. So I I know it's kind of a feel thing of like okay, they're getting kind of bored of it, but just as a coach, like. You know, what's your read for like? Okay, it's time to change. Do you think it's like? Do you plan on doing it maybe monthly? Okay, like monthly we'll plan and then like we'll see how things adjust. Or how are you thinking about like? Okay, how? Where's my warm up fit in my program? When am I changing it?
1: Uh, I look at well, I mean, I'll I'll start off by looking at what we're doing for the day, right? So if we're doing, it's a more neurologically driven day and it's a more CMS day, and the lift itself is seventeen minutes, right? Just pulling numbers out of the air, but like, I'm not going to spend another seventeen minutes doing a long slow warm up, right? We want the warm-up to fit the needs of whatever they're going to be doing that day. And so if it's if we have a day that's got, you know, deadlifting or squatting where you want to limit, you know, we want a lot of anti-extension and anti-rotation work because we're going to be kind of moving weight heavily, you know, on our back, everything's got to be nice and stable. That's going to go into the warm-up. And we'll always start with some bit of dynamic. Right? Um, Again, this is just like low level plyometrics moving from different planes, right? Teach them how to jump, teach them how to decelerate. They're getting touches. Um, You're you're kind of prep, especially if you're hockey players, right, they get locked in the boots, so we can still get that foot and ankle joint to work decently well with low level plyos with with before they even start jumping. Like, I think that's a pretty good thing. Um, And then I just try to work. I try to always have at least like kind of going from the ground up. Um, I don't like the warmups. For me personally, where it's like, oh, we're standing now we're on the ground. Now we're standing again. Now we're back on the ground. It's like, I just kind of like the flow. Right. So it's like, maybe we'll start on our back with different glute bridge variations, maybe different hamstring ISOs, maybe different dead bug variations, going into T spine work and shoulder movement. And then we're kind of going to more compound. Like, Hey, maybe we are doing a figure four and then stepping past into like a hip flexor stretch or a, you know, a man overhead reach any of those things and then kind of going into different squat patterns and again those are things that i learned at denver right where you're taking some of the a lot of the stuff from like the 3d maps with the gray institute and taking some of those patterns and saying okay we're going to go lunge pattern different squat matrixes different single leg patterns and we're going to start utilizing different you know creating rotation at different joints um, again and I'll say this till I'm blue in the face, like, this is not like, this is what I do, but I'm not the first person to do it. Right. are like, not
0: the first person. And there do were people. And those people no, not, were not the, like, <laughs> the, right.
1: We're all we're all kind of grabbing from other people. But like, I am lucky enough to have learned from some really, really good coaches who did it really well. And so that kind of opened up my eyes to how important a warm up is and how beneficial it can be. Right just creating motion and creating and like not only creating motion but controlling motion and you know hitting different ranges within season or out of season and you know teaching different movement patterns and where you're creating stress like that's really
0: you know so it's a daily
1: thing it's a daily yeah
0: i love this point you're underscoring i know you've underscored i'm underscored again that like this is 15 minutes every day where you can teach basically anything right like Mm-hmm. and so much over the course of so many months and like test different things out and like get get athletes in different movements. So I think it's really important. So if you're interested in in kind of seeing more details about that, we also have this article on the site, which, uh, which, uh, readers or listeners can check out. So Polly, this has been, a uh, this has been really fun, uh, really wide ranging. We, I told you before, we didn't have much of a plan. People who've been on the podcast know that I notoriously don't plan a ton. I just come up with some bullet points. So uh, is there any, anything like else? that you'd like to to touch on or or anything to wrap up i think a few things i'd like to underscore is flow gym flow like move maybe move where the foam rollers are tomorrow like i think that's a really easy takeaway is like is it actually set up optimally and two like changing up the warm up those are the two for me i'm like all right tomorrow when i go to the gym i'm gonna i'm gonna do something different yeah so, I, any, I mean, anything it, else a, to wrap up
1: no i think that's it man i think uh i hope i hope the listeners find this uh somewhat enlightening um I'm always happy to answer any questions so yeah but hopefully people take something from us and apply it in their own training or in their own teams
0: yeah and we didn't talk about it today it's a question I ask a lot but but clearly you've influenced by a lot of great coaches from from Shaw to, to price and like so many others you've mentioned and just how important it is to so let's like learn learn from great coaches and and resources like Paul are and a lot of our other staff coaches are available so uh you know reach out to us We're we're people too don't reach out to me though i don't i don't really have good answers to anything
1: that's like uh, these guys are i mean you guys are all the experts now i'll probably pass you on to someone way smarter than me i'll be like uh you can go go reach out to matt shaw matt price jim snyder trent fry go reach out to those guys exactly
0: exactly well paul thank you so much it's been it's been a blast i appreciate you
1: having me on man it was a blast i really enjoyed it
0: all right well uh we'll talk soon sounds good take it easy Thank you so much for listening to this episode. As always, you can find links to everything discussed at the official website of SCAF, ProHockeyStrength.com. While you're there, you can check out hundreds of articles and dozens of webinars on everything related to training hockey players. And you can also sign up for our email list and get bi-weekly training knowledge bombs dropped right to your inbox. Once again, that is ProHockeyStrength.com. If you're interested in hockey, strength conditioning, or peak performance, then we're looking forward to seeing you on the site.